0: Hello, it's January 27th, 2021, my name is Simone, and this is 90s Crime Time. Hello, and welcome to a brand new episode of 90s Crime Time. And if you're new to 90s Crime Time, welcome to the show. Like always, I hope you guys had a great weekend and are having a great current week so far. And with that said, let's go ahead and dive into today's case. Today's case is a case from 1999 and is very scandalous. This case takes place around the world in the glamorous Monaco, and it involves the subjects of a very wealthy businessman and heir, a helping hand, betrayal, and then an awful double murder. Like I'll mention before every episode, I'll be giving an introduction, then read from cited sources, and then finally, I'll give my opinion. This case may leave you shocked, sad, and maybe a little sorrowful. Listener discretion is always advised. The year was 1999, and in the opulent and highly desired small seaside state of Monaco, where one in three of its residents is a millionaire Many people flock here from all over the world to get a taste of what the fine life is all about. When you visit Monte Carlo or Monaco as a whole, it's no surprise you may spot a famous face or two here. Royalty, celebrities, businessmen, almost anyone who has a great amount of wealth and status have visited or lived in Monaco at some point in time. And that included wealthy billionaire banker and heir, Edmund Safra. Since he was a very young adult, Mr. Safra saw great success in the banking industry. So much success that by the age of 24, he started his own hugely successful bank, under the guidance of his banker father. Over the decades, Edmund would continue his success, but sometime during his career, rumors began to swirl that Edmund Safra dealt with the underworld meaning that Edmund allegedly dealt with mobs and crime syndicates from all over the world. Those rumors followed him all the way to his old age and until his death in December 1999 in a tragic house fire that also claimed the life of one of his nurses. But after investigating the fire, authorities determined the fire was no accident, and once it was found out why it was set, it would shock the people of Monaco and the friends and family of Mr. Safra. In the following case, you'll find out more about who Mr. Edmund Safra was, what happened right after his death, and the shocking suspect who would be found guilty of the murders in a case I title, Target. In the extravagant seaside state of Monaco, off the coast of the French Riviera, many of the residents here are surrounded by endless wealth and posh surroundings. Here in Monaco, the weather stays mild almost all year, yachts are never scarce, and there are endless amounts of delicacies for the wealthy to dine on. The people of Monaco also don't have to worry about the viciousness of crime, because even though they are surrounded by all the riches, most of the residents have been fortunate enough to have the best security. And just in case something unlawful does happen here, Monaco houses their only prison named Maison d'Array. But even here, the prisoners are treated to the luxurious views of Monaco and even if they did do a crime, they are still fed the most precious food because according to a prison guard, they don't want the prisoners to get angry. The point is, if you're in Monaco, you more than likely will have nothing to worry about. No theft, no assault, and definitely no murder. Well, that was until December 1999, when a well-known billionaire named Edmund Safra and his nurse were found dead in his Monaco home, which the manner of death was determined to be a murder. But how did billionaire Edmund Safra come to such a demise? Well, let's start with a little bit of his story. Back in 1932, Edmund Safra was born in Beirut, Lebanon, to wealthy banker Jacob Safra and his wife. Jacob Safra had also come from a line of wealthy bankers, but according to Business Insider, after the Ottoman Empire began to unravel at the beginning of the 20th century, Jacob Safra separated himself from the family business to open the Jacob E. Safra Bank in Beirut. As he grew older, he admired his father and family's business and success in the banking world and young Edmund was so invested and impressed by his family's work ethic and success that he started to take interest in this career. He watched his father and other relatives' day-to-day dealings in the banking world, and soon, Edmund was able to overstep his older brother to be selected by his father as the prime heir. This came as a shock to many people surrounding the Safra family, because usually, due to the Sephardic Jewish tradition, the family business was passed on to the oldest son. With his new position, at just the age of 16, Edmund took over his father's bank division of the Precious Metals and Foreign Exchange Department. He did so well in that department that he traveled to Milan to learn the banking business and then on to Brazil where he set up his first bank at just the age of 21. And in 1956, at the age of 24, he set up another bank in Geneva, which grew from 1 million to eventually 5 billion. Over the next years, Edmund was setting up more and more of his own banks and financial institutions, that his personal net worth was growing rapidly. And by 1966, Edmund decided he wanted to conquer another banking market, and that was the American bank market. So, trying a hand at his luck, in 1966, Edmund founded the Republic National Bank of New York, and as his luck would have it, this bank would be his most successful American operation. And due to his immense success, his family felt that by now he was in his 30s, that it was a good idea for him to find a partner and get married. But to Edmund, that was no easy doing. It wasn't because he felt he was unattractive or because he didn't know how to date. It was because Due to his high net worth and fortune, Edmund was afraid of potential gold diggers. He didn't want to get with the woman, at least permanently, and have to wonder whether or not she was only after his money and not in love with him. But his siblings hated this ideology. They felt if Edmund went ahead and got married, then his wife could potentially have a son of their own and produce an heir to Edmund's fortunes and the other Safra family businesses. However, sometime in 1969, Edmund met wealthy heiress and freshly new widow, Lily Monteverde. Lily came from a wealthy family as well, and at the time of their meeting, Lily had just lost her husband, Alfredo Monteverde, to suicide earlier that year. Due to his financial smarts, Lily sought financial counsel because she had just inherited the late Alfredo's fortune And she came to Edmund to be her financial advisor. Over time, Edmund took a liking to Lily. She was beautiful, smart, and he felt, since she came from her own money and just inherited more, she was not after his money. However, his family was not impressed by her. For one, she was a little older than what is considered childbearing age, so therefore, they felt she could not produce an heir. And also, Lily was being looked at closely by the press and public for her husband's death because many believed he did not die by suicide. And lastly, Edmund's family did not approve of Lily because she was of the Ashkenazi Jewish faith while the Saffras were Sephardic. So for these reasons, he broke up with Lily but was devastated when she married again. But fast forwarding to the 1970s, Edmund learned that Lily divorced this husband after only one year, and in 1976, he took a chance and married her, to the dismay of his family. But just to make sure things were tight in the marriage, Edmund and Lily decided upon a 600-page prenuptial agreement. As the years went on, Edmund continued his success and became a billionaire. With this title. The press began to wonder what Mr. Safra was all about. Everyone in his private wealthy circle knew him very well, but to the press, Edmund seemed very discreet, and they wanted to know more about him. But they couldn't find much about his business dealings and his personal life. So, Beginning in the 1980s, after the press couldn't find much about Edmund's personal life or his business dealings, suddenly Edmund became the subject of smear campaigns with allegations suggesting that he was involved in the Iran-Contra affair, that he arranged the murder of a security specialist who had supposedly discovered a link between Edmund and the Arms for Hostages scandal, that he had double-crossed the Medellin cocaine cartel, that he was a friend of mafia legend Meyer Lansky and the smear tactics got so bad that Edmund addressed these allegations and said they had started from his financial rivals, American Express. Since Safra was able to prove these allegations against American Express, American Express was forced to apologize and donate $8 million to a number of charities, including the Anti-Defamation League. And ever since the American Express fiasco, Edmund fought hard for the rest of his days against anyone who would try and smear his good name. But even after all of this, Edmund still began to feel hunted. He felt that this was due to his wealth and all these smear campaigns that someone was out to get him. According to Vanity Fair, quote, he spent at each of his many residences he lived virtually surrounded by a private army. The penthouse over his bank had been rebuilt to accommodate the latest surveillance cameras and security devices. He had 11 bodyguards with machine guns, many of them veterans of the Mossad and Israel, who worked in shifts and were always with him, often to the consternation of friends who disliked being surrounded by armed men every time they arrived for a visit, quote. His paranoia about being hunted never stopped. But as he entered his 60s, Edmund had something else come up in life that needed his attention, and that was being diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. With this diagnosis, Edmund required around-the-clock nursing care, and due to his wealth, he had no problems hiring the best nursing and medical care, and his nurses traveled with him almost everywhere he went. And as luck would have it for Edmund, in 1999, Edmund and his family met through Lily's daughter, a nurse at New York's Columbia Presbyterian Medical Center named Ted Meyer. Ted Meyer was a 41-year-old ex-Green Beret, and for 10 years, he was a highly regarded neonatology nurse at Babies and Children's Hospital, part of New York's Columbia Presbyterian Medical Center. And as luck would have it, in 1999, after meeting Edmund's stepdaughter, As her friend was a patient of his, his family was impressed with his background as a Green Beret and felt since he had those credentials and he was a respected nurse, he could be added to Edmund's nursing staff and possibly be a bodyguard. So Edmund's family offered Ted a position and $600 a day, more money than he had ever made. They also offered Ted's wife a nursing position as well. But once they realized the mayors had children, they rescinded and felt she would be best staying back in the States. However, Ted accepted the offer. Over the next few months, Ted seemed to enjoy Monaco and working for Edmund. But what he didn't like was his actual position. For one, Ted reportedly developed a strong dislike for the chief nurse on Safra's staff and after having been a well-respected employee at Columbia Presbyterian, he was suddenly the most junior member of the team, and he found himself having to take orders from people whose credentials were less impressive than his. But nonetheless, Edmund welcomed Ted with open arms, and according to a certain publication, Ted seemed to be his favorite, even though he was only considered a junior nurse. So Ted sucked it up and continued to work for him, and everything seemed to go normal until December 3rd, 1999. That morning, Ted and another one of Edmund's nurses, Vivian Torriente, were on duty. Around 5 a.m., Ted woke Edmund to tell him that two masked men had broken into the building and they stabbed him. This terrified Edmund not just because his home had been broken into and Ted had been stabbed, but because since he was so superstitious and had state-of-the-art security and an alarm system, Edmund felt he was the safest in Monaco. Edmund felt he was so safe that he would send his bodyguards home at night, and they would come back the next day. Back at his home, a fire broke out within minutes of Ted alerting Edmund. Still suffering from his stab wounds, Ted was able to make it down to the ground floor and told the building receptionist to call police. The police arrived at around 5.15 a.m., and when they arrived, they were unable immediately to access the apartment, which is protected by still-reinforced doors. So while some of the officers tried to pry open the apartment, the others searched floor by floor for the intruders, and five minutes after they arrived, medical personnel arrived and took Ted to the hospital. Minutes later, passersby began seeing smoke coming from the building and called emergency services. Meanwhile, Nurse Vivian tried to call Edmund's head nurse to ask her to call the police. Vivian kept calling and calling for more than an hour to different numbers, begging for help. When police were finally able to enter the Safra residence with the firemen, two hours later, the fire had already taken hold in the flat, which was extremely difficult to bring under control. When the smoke settled down, emergency services found Edmund Safra Dead where he and Vivian had taken refuge in the bathroom. His body was covered in black soot, his skin incinerated, and his eyes had popped out of his head. Also near him was his nurse Vivian, who was also dead. It was determined that Edmund and Vivian had died of smoke inhalation, and during the investigation, police determined it was an inside job that this fire had been deliberately set. And within two days after the initial investigation, police questioned Ted at the hospital, and he confessed to being the culprit. According to the Guardian, Ted said he had stabbed himself and started a fire, and that there were no intruders. Ted further said his actions were an attempt to gain his boss's respect. Ted added he didn't get along with the head nurse and how he wished to undermine her power, by demonstrating his loyalty to Safra following his confession at a press conference the local prosecutor said that Ted said quote it was my own dark ideas which led me to do this end quote after his confession Ted Meyer was arrested for the crimes and charged with arson which led to death and after his confession was made public the wealthy residents of Monaco wondered how the Safra family could employ such an unhinged man like Ted. But a spokesperson for the Safra family said that Meyer was properly vetted through in an in-depth background check, and Ted was interviewed by Edmund Safra himself. It then came to light that Ted once had a prescription pill problem, and according to one former neighbor back in the States, he and Ted would also argue, and he called him, quote, a miserable bastard but his fellow nurses back at Columbia Presbyterian shed him in a different light and said Ted was a reliable and motivated worker. Fast forwarding to December 2002, Ted Meyer was found guilty and convicted of the murders and sentenced to 10 years in prison. In late January 2003, Ted and another inmate escaped the prison. After making his way 15 miles to the city of Nice, France, And bombarding himself in a hotel talking on the phone to family and a priest back in the States Ted was apprehended seven hours later Ted Meyer was released in 2007 but even though Ted was found guilty and spent time in prison for the murders many conspiracy theories persist to this day about who really killed Edmund Safra and Vivian the story of Edmund Safra comes from the sources of The Guardian Vanity Fair, CBS News, and others I'll put in the notes. All right, so let's go ahead and dive into what I think really happened and what I think about this case. Now, I'm going to start and no one come for me, nobody who has money or anything or power or anything. I'm just stating my opinion not naming any suspects or anything because Ted Meyer or Mayor Meyer, I think it's Meyer, but I couldn't find the correct pronunciation on how to um, pronounce Ted's last name. But I just feel personally that Ted was used as a scapegoat because he was, I'm not saying nurses are basic at all because nurses make the world go round. We all know this, but why would he, unless he was really that unhinged, why would he mess a job like this up? $600 a day, more money than he's ever made. He has a wife and kids back in the States. He can obviously send that money back if he if he sent money back, I'm not sure. $600 a day, and apparently he was so upset and so bothered that a head nurse got more um, uh, work than him or more praise than him. But that doesn't really make sense because according to the reports and what I read to you guys, Um, He still got praise from Edmund, Mr. Safra, and he was handpicked by him himself because he was so impressed with the um, Green Beret credentials and that he was a nice man because what really happened, how they really um, met Edmund was that uh, Edmund's stepdaughter, like I mentioned, had a friend who was visiting the hospital. I believe she had a baby, I believe. And they took pictures of the baby, of course, and took pictures with the family and they left their camera in the hospital room. And then, according to a report, Ted found the camera um took the film, and was like, "Hey, I know these people. Let me go find out where they live, and I will take it back and they And he did that, and that's how they were so impressed by his mannerisms, and they learned more about Ted with his green beret career, and he was one of the most respected house um uh, nurses at the hospital with the babies and all that. And they were like, huh, you can come work for Edmond because you're so respected. You're so well with your duties. You have a green beret, um, background and you know, you could possibly fend off intruders. And that's, you know, he took the job like $600 a day. You know, my wife can stay here. Um, because they rescinded his off her offer. Excuse me, guys. They rescinded her offer because she was, they felt she needed to be home with the children back in New York. And Ted was like, yeah, $600 a day. Yeah, I'm going to do this. That sounds great. Go to Monaco, live amongst the wealthy and the rich and I can help take care of this billionaire. And I just don't personally believe Ted Meyer had, to did this for what reason? There's no reason really, besides admiration from his boss. I, that doesn't make sense to me. Now, like I said, there's people that are crazy like that, and Ted may have been that nut- nutty. But if you if you paid attention, you know what I said. You know he had all these conspiracy theories that he worked with the mob. He worked with the Russians. Well, not the Russians, but Russian crime people or whatever. He worked with. Um, allegedly, he inter- interfered with the Medellin cocaine cartel. He worked with just bad people overall, allegedly, according to the press, but these are always these are these are always these were sorry, guys, again, um, these were considered smear campaigns. So no one really knows, at least in public, if uh, Edmund Safra dealt with these people. But he also could have been on target because he was Hello, a billionaire. And he was an older man. He had Parkinson's. Somebody could have been trying to rob him legit. Somebody could have been trying to take him down and like another business was trying to vie for what Edmund had. And who knows? And then again, it's Monaco. Anybody could be a target, even though they have the best security there because most of their residents are wealthy. So they need the security in the police force and the jail and the prison, all that good stuff. But still, if they wanted to kill somebody, powerful people who um, wanted what Edmund had, they could have obviously done that. And they did kill him. And what I also read is that what did not make public news was that allegedly, guys, allegedly Edmund had two bullets to the back of his head. I don't know if Ted did that or someone else. So I, I'm betting someone else did that. I don't know about Miss Vivian, the nurse, but she was found dead as well from um, smoke inhalation. But they didn't say anything about her, her having bullets in her head. But they did say, according to a Vanity Fair like op-ed, she allegedly had her neck crushed. I don't think you can get that from smoke inhalation. And obviously... I just feel like something else was there. Some other motive was there besides Ted being disgruntled. He was only a junior nurse and didn't like the chief nurse. And also with Edmund's eyes being bugged out like that, that's not coming from smoke inhalation. If I'm wrong by by this biology, guys, let me know. But I just don't feel your eyes being bugged out co- is caused by smoke inhalation. Something had to have happened with his eyes to be like that. Like his black, his body in, uh, covered in black soot. That makes sense. His body, his skin being incinerated. That unfortunately makes sense, but your eyes being bugged out, that doesn't make sense to me. And also there's a scandalous, scandalous, um, saying on one of these articles that possibly his wife had something to do with it. Um, with all these husbands she's had, although she came from a wealthy family herself, but you know, could have been greed. I'm not saying anything. She has never been questioned. She has never been tried for the murder of her husband, um, cause it's all been laid on Ted Meyer, but you can draw your own conclusions about that one. I, that was sort of in the back of my brain, but this lady is like billionaires. Like she's like billionaire worthy. Like she has married billionaires in the past, obviously Edmund and a uh, few before her husband, um, with the last name Monteverde, uh, died under suspicious circumstances. Her, his family is saying he did not die by suicide. The press is saying, um, he did not die by suicide. But it was confirmed a suicide, so who knows? And then she married a guy that was that lasted only less like less than a year. I don't know. I do not know. I, I'm not gonna say anything because it's none of my business. But that's just my opinion. I don't believe that Edmund Safra was killed by Ted Meyer, nor was Nurse Vivian, obviously. And you guys draw your own conclusions with that because <laughs> There's so many theories that could have happened because I'll, I'm I'm just I'm just focusing on Edmund Safra and his family had such great wealth because this is wealth going back to the Ottoman Empire, and anybody in this world could have taken him out, and yeah, that's all I'm gonna say. And like I said, lastly, draw your own conclusions. And lastly. Before I go, before I go, because I promised I would shout you out, Hector. Hector is a subscriber to the YouTube channel, 90s Crime Time. And I told him I would shout him out with the newest episode. And thank you again, Hector, for subscribing to 90s Crime Time. And um, whoever else uh, decides to subscribe to 90s Crime Time's YouTube channel, I would uh, really appreciate it. And I will definitely shout you out if you request one. Let me know what you think of this episode. If you have not le- left a rating, um, I would love for you to leave a rating. Hopefully be nice. I've been getting some more trickled in for our 90s Crime Times ratings. And I do appreciate it. Um, I'm learning to do better, to serve you guys, the listeners out there. I want to be good. I want to be top quality for as, mu- as much as I can with you guys. I'm only working in a small little made up studio here. But I'm doing the best I can, guys. I hope you continue to listen. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of 90s Crime Time. And um, don't forget to check out 90s Crime Time on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Be sure to make uh, make sure you look at 90s Crime Time's YouTube channel as well for more 90s crimes and more on this case today. Um, Stay safe and healthy. Wear your mask, wash your hands, and I will see you next week for a brand new episode.